What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Game Informer Show, a weekly podcast covering the video game industry. Join us every Thursday for a discussion about the latest gaming news, reviews, and exclusive reveals alongside Game Informer staff and special guests from around the industry. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Van Aken, and today I'm joined by Marcus Stewart. How you doing, Marcus? Hey, I see you, Alex Van Aken. I see you. Thank you. Are you going to Erwan? Ewa? Uh, one of those places. I mean, I, I hopefully not anytime soon. Okay, but you, but you, you've done. You've made the decision. You've, you've, you're going to Ewa. I mean, I, I think life makes that decision. I, I don't. Okay. I mean, I guess you could. Now we're getting into dark stuff. Like, I guess I could choose to go there sooner if I'd like to. Okay. Well, Charles Hart <laughs> is rounding out the podcast today. What's going on, Charles? Hello. I would be so in the dark if I hadn't edited your Avatar video because I have not really seen those movies. Um, yeah. But I, I'll tell you this. I will not be going to Erewhon. Okay. Yeah. Or Awa, actually. Yeah. For that matter. Yeah. Welcome to the Game Informer Show. Uh, it's the Avatar Frontiers of Pandora cover reveal episode. Woo! Marcus and I flew to Sweden a month ago. Yeah, last so. month, October, like yeah, early, yeah, last early month. October. Yeah. We had barbecue, um, really good barbecue. Well, that was yeah. in Copenhagen, Denmark. But the thing is, we're going to get into this. I think they're connected by a train and they didn't check our passports when we changed countries. <laughs> so, so we were just like going all over the place. Yeah. For reference, we were in Malmo, Sweden, which is very, very close to Copenhagen. In fact, when I was looking up one travel, train stop away. Yeah. When I was looking up travel, just tips prepping for it they mentioned malmo was like a popular sort of weekend getaway for people that live in copenhagen because it's so close and it's like a smaller town and it's got like a nice you know chill vibe uh so maybe that's why they didn't check our passports because they're like yeah we're chill we're cool here you guys look trustworthy yeah you got that trustworthy look about us like yeah coming here to start some stuff right yeah absolutely is that we also weren't. like and i've never been to europe so i don't know is that like an eu thing like if you're going not in my experience no they did it when we they did it when we came back gotcha gotcha. remember alex somebody there was a lady that yeah made the rounds uh then i don't remember if she checked us but she did she checked she did not tickets she checked tickets not passports i mean it's it's better than nothing i guess Uh, so shout out to her a nameless uh (laughs) ticket checking woman for i guess caring about her job you're doing it doing it big hold it down good job good job I feel like I, I kind of jumped the gun here. Welcome to the Game Informer show. Today, we're going to be talking about Avatar Frontiers of Pandora. It's the latest game to grace our magazine cover. I do want to say just off the bat, we're launching a cover story about a Ubisoft game. And uh, a few hours after we revealed that, we found out that Ubisoft actually has laid off uh, over a hundred employees um, as of today, November 7th, this is according to IGN, uh, the company laid off a total of 124 employees. Um, and of course, just the latest in the round of, of layoffs this year. Um, 98 of them were based in Canada, um, which is roughly 2% of the Canadian workforce. Uh, we have we have a whole uh, news story written up by Charles. Uh, just head over, to, head over to GameInformer.com slash news. You can read about it there. But I did want to call that out. I mean, we've got this. We're going to be talking a lot about a Ubisoft game today that's on our cover. I think it's uh, our responsibility to also call out um, the situation that um, 
that has happened for Ubisoft employees. They deserve better. Uh, I am of the opinion that that layoffs are always a failure of management um, and leadership. And so in this case, a failure of Ubisoft uh, leadership. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to start the show off that way and, um, you know, send condolences to all of the effective employees. If you'd like to reach out and talk, uh, you can go to our masthead. Um, you can email me, alexvanaken at gameinformer.com. And uh, yeah, we can do so securely. But yeah, I just, you know, we, I think we have a certain responsibility um, to make sure that we are, uh, you know, uh, calling this stuff out. Um, especially when the game's on our magazine cover. That's, it's a, it's a big responsibility I think, and uh, we don't work for Ubisoft. We don't. We we covered their game. Um, they worked with us. We worked with them to help uh, get this cover story out the door. But um, yeah, that's that's really really bad uh, to hear. But yeah, we can move on. But I will I will uh, link that in the show notes um, if you would like to read. Uh, we're also going to get into Talos Principle Two today. Marcus has been playing that. It's uh, the latest puzzle game. Uh, that seems to be uh, doing pretty well. Um, I've seen a lot of people talk about it. I think it's doing pretty well critically as well. So I want to talk about that. Uh, we're we're going to be getting into Fortnite OG. Original Fortnite map is back. Charles and I have been playing it. And Warcraft Rumble, um, Blizzard's latest mobile game. I've been playing it for about two weeks. Uh, interviewed some of the developers as well and have a fairly co uh, comprehensive understanding of the game. I really enjoy it. But with that all being said, Marcus, let's get into our cover reveal discussion on Avatar Frontiers of Pandora. I'll let you take it away. Yeah. So we, uh, like I said, we visited Massive Entertainment Studio in Malmo. Uh, Massive Entertainment, developer of the uh, best known as the developer of Tom Clancy's The Division, those two games, uh, you know, Ubisoft Studio. Uh, tackling this game, which I remember when they first announced it, seemed, it, it did make me raise an eyebrow. I'm like, huh, that's not the team I would... I would normally peg for for something like this, of like a big open world sci-fi fantasy game based on a Hollywood IP. But I guess in some ways it does fit. Uh, one because massive. If you ever look at their portfolio, they actually have a pretty diversified sort of output. They've been around since like the early '90s. Uh, so I mean, they even told us when we were talking to them, like, yeah, it wasn't weird for us because we're used to sort of you know stretching our wings and doing new things every now and then. And it helps that they. You know, this game has gotten a lot of Far Cry comparisons, and, and you know, some of those valid. Uh, Massive actually helped make Far Cry 3, which some people don't maybe know. They weren't the lead studio on it, but they did uh, assist on it, like pretty much most or every big Ubisoft game, that's the case. But yeah, we got to go there, play a couple of hours of it in the Kinglore Forest, which is one of the game's three regions. And then we also got a hands-off exclusive tour of the other two regions, which is uh, the Clouded Forest and the Upper Plains. Um, got to interview uh, several key members of the design team, pick their brains about you know, how the game came to be, uh, what was it like working with uh, James Cameron's Lightstorm Entertainment, which is the production company that makes the Avatar films, and also just learning like what is it like to write a story that is canonical to the Avatar mythos but it, it takes place on the other side of pandora so far away from the events of the first two movies which means that you can play this game and not have to watch over like roughly six hours of films <laughs> to, to catch up to it 
um you can just jump right into here and, and not and you know not have to stress and uh yeah so, you know you're gonna see a lot of that stuff doled out over the next few weeks through videos and, and written features on our website we got a coverage hub set up all that good stuff but in terms of the trip itself um you know we got like i said we got to play it and i had fun with it you know overall i guess that's the short yeah. answer um I, I was more impressed with it maybe that I, I thought I would be going in in the sense that it, it really does feel more like its own thing than either a Far Cry or any sort of like Ubisoft open world games. I feel like, I mean, we all, you know, make the jokes or know the memes of like, we all have like expectations of what an Ubisoft open world game looks like now of like, it's going to be riddled with icons you're not even going to be able to see the landmass because there's gonna be so many icons and you're gonna be climbing towers to reveal stuff and i don't know maybe a lot of microtransactions and stuff and maybe all that good stuff i mean tba on that last part i don't know about that one but in terms of the exploration what i do like about this game is that they are going for a less guided approach even like by default so they, they have this beautiful 3d map it's an open world game first person uh, only for the most part, uh, you know, and you're exploring this area called the Western Frontier, which is a whole new area that uh, Massive has created in collaboration with Lightstorm. And like the films, it looks beautiful, <laughs> like the alien wildlife and all the flora and just seeing all these weird looking plants, a lot of which you can interact with and do and kind of react to you in weird ways of like, doing stuff like, I don't know, like flowers that dive into the ground when you walk up to them and maybe some that are bounce more, caps. Yeah. Like bounce cap. Like some of them are like gameplay focused of like, Oh, this giant leaf can fling you really far or, or there's a vine that you can shoot with an arrow and it'll drop a spindle of sorts. Yeah. And grab on rope. it. Yeah. Like grabs on you, pulls you up. Yeah. There's cool moments where you have to like jump off of a, a ledge and then like just grab one of those and it sucks you up yeah and what's nice about how alien everything is is that it's all really identifiable in the world and that's why they don't have as many icons like they want players to sort of like really get immersed in their surroundings and just look for things instead of being told explicitly like here's a waypoint here's exactly where you need to go just go there there is some of that guidance but it's significantly scaled back from what a lot of ubisoft open world games have become um like some of the missions were just like hey you know here's a here's the general area where your objective is like you need to go here and then here's a description of what you're looking for like oh there's a big rock that has a bunch of willow trees all over it and you're like okay that sounds pretty distinctive and then you just you know you can fast travel or walk to that area and then sort of like head in the direction of like oh it's east of the home tree which the home tree of course is like if you watch the movies that's where like a clan is kind of like their home that's where they all concentrate and live so you're like, okay, I'm going to head west of there. And then I guess if I just keep hitting it, I should just hit the thing that they're describing. And then sure enough, you see it like rise out of the horizon. You're like, okay, that has to be the thing. <laughs> like That doesn't yeah. look like anything else around here. Um, I like that. And that's in the default mode, but they also have an optional uh, exploratory mode where you can remove almost every icon from the game and just go purely by sight if you're someone that prefers to like maybe immerse yourself in that knobby fantasy of like, yeah, I'm in tune with Pandora and AWA, and I'm just going to use my tracking skills and I'll figure it out, which is nice. Um, for those that know that the general story is that this takes place kind of in the beginning of Avatar The Way of Water. If anyone has seen that movie, you might remember early on in the beginning, there's a one-year time skip from between when the RDA 
uh, you know, is the, the villainous human corporation that is trying to mine Pandora of all of its resources. They come back to start the war again, but then it jumps ahead one year, and then that's where Pan- uh, the, the movie sort of follows. Uh, the game takes place during that one-year time skip, of course, like I said, on the other side of the planet. So you'll hear references to Jake Sully and what's going on over there, but it's you're largely detached from, like, you're not going to have any effect on anything that's going over there. Um, you play as a customizable hero. Um, you know, you name them. And the idea is that uh, you are a Navi, like a native Navi, not an avatar, who was part of a program that was led by a guy named John Mercer, who's the game's villain. Who, like basically during the RDA's orig- original stay on Pandora, they were ha- were trying to raise Navi children as humans, where they had them come in, they taught them like, hey, human culture and how to speak English, and <laughs> like, hey, our stuff is good, like metal and technology, it's great because that stuff's very taboo to Navi. Any idea was sort of to use them to convince the natives to like, hey, give us some of those resources, and then if you watch the first movie, as that relationship between humans and Navi soured, it became a lot more antagonistic and, you know, just straight up open conflict happened. So then they said, screw it. How about we just train these kids to fight? <laughs> and then they can basically be yeah. like our own sort of like homegrown super soldiers that are maybe more effective than using an avatar because they're native Navi and Navi are like superhuman in strength and agility. They're like 10 feet tall, all that good stuff. So like, hey, we could just, if we could teach them to be humans too that'd be great so when the first movie ends with the big battle that gets the rda kicked off the planet the program gets terminated and you pretty much the order is like oh execute all these kids before they get set free but you're saved by your teacher who is like a actually i don't even know if i'm allowed to say but let's just say you have a teacher who's overseeing the program who's like really kind she puts you and your friends in cryo sleep before you can get killed and then you're spared from destruction, but then 15 years pass, and then you wake up at, like I said, that sort of early point during Avatar The Way of Water. And now you're a Navi in this world, but you don't know anything about being a Navi because you were raised as a human. So a lot of the game is trying to reconnect with the Navi clans in the Western frontier to sort of learn not only their ways, but also learn what it means to be a Navi, and also trying to recruit their help to fight against the RDA, who have found their way to the Western frontier and have, you know, set up all these outposts and are polluting everything and are just making life miserable for everyone. So you're the person going around trying to be like, Hey, you know, we should, we should rally and fight these guys. They're not, they're not good. Um, the combat, like I said, it's first person because you're a child of two worlds. As they say, you can use Navi weapons and human weapons. So on the Navi side, it's a lot of like, bow and arrow stuff like different types of bows yeah. that you know you got like, you got a, like a sling that you can throw explosives with yeah it looks like a lacrosse stick basically yeah it's called the staff yeah. sling but yeah you use that throw explosives you have like a spear thrower thing and the navi weapons are generally better for stealth because they're quieter um and they're also great for hunting when i'll get into that for a second um the human weapons like you get like assault rifle shotguns uh grenades there's an rpg you can get probably some other stuff that you can find um those are powerful and but they're loud so maybe not great for sneaking and also they're not good for hunting so this game has a full-on it's got a lot of survival mechanics it's like in addition to just going around and fighting the rda uh you know you see them roaming around you're taking them out with you know either type of weapon you want but outside of that you can uh 
hunt animals you can kill them you can craft them uh this is where the far cry stuff comes in of like oh i you know harvest their hides to make uh different types of gear and upgrade your weapons you can also cook and you got all these recipes that you can uh concoct it's very it's pretty much the breath of the wild like tears of the kingdom zelda cooking of like you just throw ingredients into a pot and then whatever comes out is the recipe and then food gives you certain buffs for a while but you can also make disgusting food that you can't eat because you mixed in two things you're like oh i guess these weren't good uh so it's very similar to the zelda cooking um, but the thing with hunting is that, uh, like the films, the Navi are very attuned to nature. And this is actually one of my favorite things about the game is how they're kind of nailing the the source material, where if you hunt something using your Navi weapons, it, it's, like, good to eat, basically. Like, if, if you take your bow, you can kill them. But if you kill them a certain way, the meat will be of better quality. So every animal has weak points that you can see with your Navi senses, which is basically if you hit a button... It's sort of like a, like think of like a detective vision in most games or like a, a survival vision of like it highlights enemies behind, you know, cover or you can see like animal scent trails so you can follow them in the world. Like it's something like that, like basically a layer to reveal details about the world um, and it'll reveal weak points in animals. And if you target those weak points, it'll kind of result in a clean kill as well as a merciful kill, which again, the Navi take, they take killing very seriously if you ever watch the movies um where everything that they kill they do like their little prayer and say like thank you awa you know for returning you to the earth and da, 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 all that stuff and you do all of that when you kill something but if you shoot it with a gun then you can't harvest it at all because it, the navi like metal is taboo they hate metal yeah like they it's just no no metal do the other navi that you interact with if you're like if you like have weapons that are human weapons do they react to that like is that a conversation you saw people have or is it just kind of like you do that but we're not interested you know what's interesting in the films it's it's in the first film especially because i forget you said you haven't seen the films you were talking i've seen the line. first one i haven't seen the second one okay like if you remember in that film they at that point some or at least the main tribe they don't like it but they're they come around on especially by way of water because jake's sort of like is like hey we need these to kind of like stand a chance against them so they come around to it but it's not easy and in this game from what i remember like some tribes distrust you anyway because of your your upbringing with the rda they don't see you as one of them and you kind of have to earn that trust and a lot of that is because you're using human weapons so some tribes react better than others but there is like it is a factor of like oh you're using their stuff. I don't know about that, you know? Um, so yeah, that, it seems like they're, from what I saw, like in conversation, that it's like a point of drama. Um, but it also creates interesting combat opportunities where like some, you know, some animals are aggressive and attack you and, you know, killing them with human guns kills them faster. But then if you do that, then you're giving up the reward of harvesting them for parts. So it's like that split second of like, I could put this thing down real quick with a machine gun, but do I want to? Do I need parts from that animal specifically should i have used my bow uh and i kind of like that uh again because it's true to the ip and it's like it's just a different approach to combat that i don't really think i've seen in the games like kind of that like risk not even risk war but there's like a a downside to using a certain type of weapon they with all the crafting stuff like massive has kept saying that it was optional to engage with it which i thought was interesting i i don't know what that means exactly and it wasn't clear when we were there of like i I maybe optional since they don't have to get as nitty-gritty as you could get with it uh because i found 
like I found recipes for things and, you know, definitely went out of my way to craft things, you know, just like crafting benches and stuff that you can find. Um, I'm, I don't know if I found like fully made armor. I might've, but I might've forgotten. So maybe that's what they mean. Of like, you can just find something that's better and not have to worry about making your own stuff. Uh, so may, I think that's probably what they're talking about. But um, the other thing with the game is that uh, it, it's got like a parkour almost style platforming system where like I mentioned for the Navi, if you watch the movies, they're really fast. They're like running around, jumping off the little floating mountains, the Hallelujah Mountains and stuff like that. And you can do that kind of stuff, especially when you're getting your Banshee for the first time, the Ekron, which is like their flying dragon looking things. Uh, like we did a whole mission where you have to get yours and bond with it and see if to climb these floating mountains, the rookery where they all hang out. And I thought that sequence was pretty fun. Like the first person platforming controls felt pretty good, especially because they didn't make it super obvious of like, this is where you need to go. These are the handholds that you can grab. Like, again, it's about like, you can tell what you need to grab, but it's not like in your face. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it it feels like you're making those split second decisions and then feeling really cool of like, Oh, I, I nailed that. I, I, I had a feeling I could grab that and I did it. And it, but without feeling too like obscure, um, you got like a double jump where you have a regular jump. But if you hold down the jump button, you'll do like this pretty high vertical leap showing off their jumping ability, which is nice because you can charge it while you're running. So you can kind of like prep it in advance of like, oh, I'm going to take this cliff and I'm going to go flying and it's going to look cool. And then I'm going to land on a big flower that makes me bounce. And then I'm going to grab a vine and shoot up. And if you're on your game, you can get like almost like a mirror's edge ish sort of like momentum of like, oh, I'm just going and I'm not stopping and I'm just looking probably <laughs> really cool to all the other Navi watching me. They're like, oh, look at this. Look at this guy. He's all right. He's all right. <laughs> um, and then getting your your Banshee is pretty fun too. It's like, you know, it becomes your flying mount for the game. It can't be killed because like in the films, they they bond for life. Like that is just your, your mount forever. Um, so it's nice that they can't be killed in combat. You can call them anytime you want to fly around. And the flight controls feel felt surprisingly good and less cumbersome than I expected. So like like flying is the only time the game shifts to third person, and like you're steering your Ekron, but you're also like you can aim and shoot. So you can get into firefights with like those RDA helicopters, kind of like in the films of like, oh, I'm gonna shoot arrows at like the cockpit and see if I can blow these guys out the sky or shoot them with a gun. And what I like most about flying is that you can do some like you know, to quote Kyle Hillier, it's some six stunts. Uh, like Alex and I were messing around a lot with that where yep. Alex, your, your like signature move was like the jumping. battlefield three, um, jump out of the jet and shoot the rocket, the other jet and jump back on your jet. Yeah. You can absolutely do, do that. that. With, yeah. I mean, it's not as impressive because you can just like press a button to summon your Ekron back, but I was doing stuff like that where it's like, okay, I can't use my explosive sling on the Ekron, but if I fly high enough, I can jump off, throw my explosive with the sling, and then blow up what I need to blow up, and then just jump back on my Ekron. Like it swoops down and grabs me, and I keep going. Um, you can like hip fire and that sort of thing on the Ekron with like your uh, bow and your machine gun. But if you want to use like a that special item in particular, uh, you need to you need to do some trickery. So. You feel really cool too, as you know, which is really yeah. important to Navi culture. I don't think they tell you that. <laughs> Being cool. Yeah. Are there are there um, places you can't fly? 
Like to me, if I'm hearing about it, I'm like, I don't know why I wouldn't just fly that every conceivable place. So the the game is made up of three regions, right? And the story dictates where you go. Like it's not a you can go to anyone at any time. Like you start in the Kingler Forest, which is the rainforesty looking area that we've it's pretty much the only area they've really shown. It is massive though. Yeah, all three they've said all three regions alone are each bigger than both maps and division games. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, and that's just like each of them are bigger. <laughs> so it's a it's the biggest game they've ever made. That's wild. Um, and they uh to since the, the story dictates when you can go to the next one, the way they gate that, because I asked them, like, well, what if what's stopping me from getting my Ekron? And they're like, I'm going to go to the Upper Plains right now. And they're like, apparently, you have to, and throughout the game, you strengthen your connection to AWA, which, for those that don't know, if you haven't seen the films, is basically part God, part, like, if you're going to get scientific, it's like this planet-wide network that pretty much connects all life on the network like when you see in the film when they connect their hair to plants and stuff that's them connecting to awa so to speak the mother and it's like you know it's an important part of like becoming more nabi i guess whatever um but like you're going to be doing that throughout the game like there's these big flowers that you can find that you can connect to and they basically award you a skill point but like narratively you've you've raised your connection to awa and they said bonding with your your ekron uh, increases the more you connect to AWA and then once your bond with your Ekron is high enough, it'll fly you to the other regions because the reason they can't do it now is that it always wants to kind of stay by your side and is like not willing to go that far just yet you know, until you yeah. get it to a point where it's like, yeah, yeah, I'll fly you anywhere, whatever, we're cool you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know we're friends, now. if you were an acquaintance, I would fly you maybe down the street and that's about <laughs> as far as it go, but now that we're like besties, yeah we can go to like 50 miles away, let's do it uh, so that's that's the explanation for it. Um, I also, uh, the other thing that's impressed me about this game is the way they've sort of um, made basic kind of survival mechanics a bit more involved in a way that fits the IP. So, like, you can harvest a bunch of different plants to uh, make arrows for your bow or to, like I mentioned before, do crafting. But you don't just pluck them out of the ground and walk away. Like, you have to, like, a lot of them have a mini game tied to them where you have to kind of position like find the right place like oh this is a good place in the stock to rip it off cleanly and it's like you're pretty much just like finding the right point in the analog stick where it'll vibrate but like oh this is a good spot but also like the time of day and the weather conditions matter and not even just for plants but for animals too where you'll see a flower and it'd be like oh if you pull this in the middle of the day when it's like sunny it'll be good but for whatever reason this plant this plant is at its best at nighttime like it's just something about the plant if you pluck it at like in the moonlight it'll be like super good quality and so like you have to keep that in mind when you're carving some stuff because some missions will demand that you get a specific quality of an ingredient like uh there's um like for example some of the little villages have communal baskets that you can donate stuff to where they'll be like oh we need like this fruit but ideally we really only want the fruit if it's of high quality and so yeah the only way you know if it's high quality is that uh so there's like a scanning mechanic so like everything you you know harvest or kill or whatever you can scan and it'll add to like this little menu database that tells you everything about it about like here's the conditions that you need it to be to be of, of certain quality here's where it's found in the world like everything you need to find it uh so you would maybe reference that and be like okay if i want this fruit to be of utmost quality i'm gonna look at that it says i need to pluck it at midday okay i'm gonna head over there now it's about that time of day and i'm gonna do that 
I, I like that it's like not mindless. Like it again for like the Navi culture of like like forcing you to be in tune with the environment and have always be mindful of like what time is it? Is it raining right now? I don't know if I want to do it when it's raining because it's gonna make it bad or it might make it better. You know, it depends. But I, I like the thought that goes into harvest things. Again, it can feel mindless after a while of just like ah, I'm just gonna pluck stuff and whatever. Who cares? Yeah, the combat itself feels pretty good too. Um, I don't know if it feels like amazing compared to other games, but it feels like good, especially when you're the novelty of being a 10 foot tall creature comes into play when you're fighting the comparatively small humans and you like melee attack them and they go flying. <laughs> it feels yeah. nice. Um, you're fighting them when you're in those, uh, those mech suits, the, the AMPs of which there's like new varieties of those in the games that we haven't seen the films. Like some have like flamethrowers and some shoot like grenades and that's, all and we did play. ask, can you like hijack those? And you cannot. Which I guess would make sense because they're only made for tiny people. I guess it would... that's their reasoning. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. a good, it's a good narrative reason. Yeah, because physically they could not <laughs> fit in those things. Yeah, Alex, you sound dissatisfied. <laughs> yeah, like it just sound like you really. You could just to make them bigger. There. Yeah, <laughs> but I guess narratively, why would the humans make them that to fit Avatar people? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a video game. I do okay. like the idea they have. They have some that are spray painted blue that are for their avatars i guess they could do that but then the whole point of being an avatar is that you have all the super strength stuff so you're like oh you're you don't need this too this i just think i would look cool in a mech i mean you're not wrong i mean maybe you do maybe there's a point in the game where they're like we need to make you a mech suit and then i don't know Mm. it's like iron man style suit up (laughs) <laughs> now, now the, this, uh, this is just fan fiction now this is nothing this is not <laughs> but a lot of the a, lo- a lot of the combat in our demos was concentrated on clearing an outpost so again going back to far cry there's a bunch of rda outposts everywhere some are bigger than others um and they all are affect the environment because they are stealing from the earth and they are polluting that means any wildlife or plant life within the area of the factory is unharvestable until you clear it so that's what gives you incentive to be like oh i there's a plant here that i need but it's it's like polluted and nasty and i can't pluck it until i get rid of this outpost um you can go in you know guns blazing if you want or you can stealth your way through it i think stealth is interesting in this game because you're so big you can't hide behind things that you normally would as a person because you're just so much taller and so like but the environment is or at least the base that we were in it's it's kind of scaled up because they have so many of those guys in mech suits walking around that they have to have things that fit those guys. So it kind of mm. gives you the the architectural conceit for why you can also maybe fit in this hallway because it has to be big because they have to patrol. Um, but beyond that, it, there's like a fun novelty in being this big creature sort of sneaking around and, and plucking dudes off with these arrows that are, again, to them, are basically like flagpoles that you're shooting at them. Um but it felt good. It, it feels challenging too. Like both times we played this section, um, I noticed that, you know, there's like an alert status and stuff when you get caught, but it never ever fully defaulted back to normal when you disappeared. They were always in some mild state of awareness, which I, I personally liked as like, as a realistic touch of like, well, yeah, they, they're not going to instantly forget that I exist because they haven't seen me for a while. Like they assume that I'm nearby, but you know, they're not as like freaking out, but now they're like the, the element of surprise is gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I, I kind of like that. They don't just reset and are just idiots and go back, you know, to whatever they were doing. Um, 
there like diapos we did it was like a bunch of objectives kind of like scattered about you could do them in any order of like oh sabotage this thing and turn this thing off and whatever and then uh how you do that is up to you one fun trick that i like going back to your banshee is that since you can call it anytime it's a good distraction like i called it in at one point and then like everyone in the base near it freaked out and started shooting at it. And that allowed me to kind of slip around because they were so, <laughs> they, you know, they just see like a dragon thing and they're like, oh my God, shoot that thing. And you're like, all right, buddy, you, and it can't die. So it's kind of exploiting that of like, yeah, you can, you can take all those bullets, buddy. I'm going to sneak around the back, you know, <laughs> hold them busy. Or, you know, you can just use it and fly and, you know, try to get your objective that way. Assuming they haven't called me helicopters. I don't know. It just seemed like there was a, a, a fun number of options for tackling that base, which I, I always appreciate it, but uh, I'm curious, Alex, you, you played a, uh, the same demo I did a, a good bit of it. What'd you think of it? Yeah, I probably got a total of probably four or five hours hands-on uh, repeat content, but because um, we played it twice. Um, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I think the uh, the bow feels really good. Um, really good like player feedback uh, and like sound design and UI elements. Like when you hit those headshots, on um humans in particular like it just feels really good um i know some like bow and arrows i feel like in games can sometimes feel like uh weightless in a way you know uh and it just has like a really nice heft to it i prefer it honestly to like the assault rifle um, I did too, and a lot of that was me role playing too as a novice. Me too, like, yeah. I feel yeah. like this character is gonna not use human stuff as like unless it's a last resort because they're trying to prove themselves. Like, no, I'm a Navi. I can I can do things your way. Absolutely, but yeah, I really appreciated that. Like, I kind of tended to gravitate towards stealth, and it was like I felt like the game accommodated that um, in both in the open world and. Um, and in like those big bases, right? Um, and I, I enjoyed the hunting as well, um, like hunting the big animals and tracking their scents. And again, kind of requires if you want to harvest the best uh, resources from from the carcass, like you're really like more inclined to to use stealth and get a clean kill with the bow and that sort of thing. Um, and I, I I'm very down with that. I like it a lot. Um, I, I also enjoyed the kind of seems like there's a fair amount of like talents in the skill tree. Um, I want to say there was four or five. There's like five um, different. Like one of them is dedicated yeah. just to your banshee. Like, yeah, skills for that thing. Yeah, but uh, yeah, because there's one for like combat, one for hunting, one for crafting, and one for I want to say stealth. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. The the world has so many vistas as well um, that are really, really fun to explore and find. Uh, and often in places that you wouldn't expect them to be. Um, the environment artists and, and the level designers uh, at Massive have really put together... It really transports you. Uh, Frontiers of Pandora does. And... There were just many moments where I was kind of blown away by how it looked. That being said, like I, I, I think the game's solid. I don't know if this sort of open world is ultimately going to hold me for the entirety of the game. Um, that's just because like it really takes a lot for me to finish an open world, right? Um, 
but like i kind of like that it's broken up into three worlds with three distinct uh like i can when i'm in the the upper planes i have to use i have to essentially be on what is the equivalent to horseback right yeah the dire horse the dire horse that changes how i explore versus being able to fly places right yeah um and that was one thing that uh the creative director uh magnus jansen uh, was telling us about like how contrast was kind of a big thing with designing the world where like each region is completely different from the last one like the upper plains is more open hilly grasslands and the mountains and the or not mountains but uh like grasslands windy uh the clouded forest is like this really mysterious often foggy forest that has mountains and stuff and it's not even just like the broader strokes but they because a lot of the plant life is brand new plant life that massive created and is now canon to the avatar sort of like <laughs> bistaria or whatever you, what is the what is the equivalent of like a plant version of like a bistaria a plant plant encyclopedia i don't C- know compendium sure <laughs> like the avatar yeah. lore bible basically the world building bible like a lot of their new plants and stuff is now part of that so who knows maybe we'll see it in the other movies but uh and this was something that i think blew both of our minds alex where magnus was telling us how they've gone to the like they care so much about contrast where like they have even redesigned like fa- like familiar elements that appear in all three worlds even look different of like oh yeah. there's always going to be those launch flowers in each region or though there's like little flowers that you can step on and give you a speed boost while you're running but they're they'll even look different in the other worlds where like they won't look different enough to where you have to retrain your brain to be like, Oh, this is the thing that I've gotten used to seeing. Like, I think they said it might just be a different color, but it'll still be the same shape where like, you'll see it and be like, okay, I think I know what that is, but they, they logically they're like, well, it would make sense that this looks different. Cause this is a different climate, even if it has the same function. And like, so then for them to go to like that painstaking degree of basically making new assets <laughs> for things that have the same function. Uh, just to make them feel as distinct from each other as possible, I thought was kind of wild. Yeah, me too. It definitely is just looking at it. It's a lot of work, Um, but it was exciting to see Uh, because like, that's like, that's, those are the details that like keep you wanting to explore a world when you feel uh, like there are still new things to find, even though it is familiar. Yeah. And gameplay implications too. Like he mentioned the cloud of forest were like, and only in that region when you're hunting, there's this species of insects that are like swarm and they, they basically like locusts were like, Oh, if you kill something and they're around, they will swarm yes. your, your kill. And if you don't harvest it quick enough, they'll eat it and spoil it. And that's only in the clouded forest. So even when you think you have hunting down, once you go there, you have to now like adopt that into your, your strategy of like, Oh, these things are around. I should, I, I got to keep an eye out for those. Uh, yeah. And like other gameplay changes that come with the environment is, is, it's pretty cool. Seems exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more when the game comes out next month. But um, yeah, well, it was, it was uh, exactly a month at least. From yeah, when we're recording. Yeah, it was a ton of fun going to uh, to Malmo to Massive. Um, they have probably one of the nicest studios I've ever been to. Yeah, new studio too. They only they haven't been there that long. Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of years, like barely two years. I think so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Marcus, any other um, things we need to touch on before we we take a quick break and uh, move on to to more games we've been playing? 
yeah i'll say overall like i'm not, i'm gonna call myself the biggest avatar fan like i like those movies well enough you know i watched way of Water. i like the character designs a lot particularly the mechs a, a lot of it is like the the i like the artistry and the thought mm-hmm. that goes into making that world especially if you watch any of those behind the scenes documentaries like it's fascinating with like how everything has to be based on like has to have either a real life analog or like has to be based in some form of reality before they dial it up to 11 just so they can scientifically justify why this flower has like 10 tentacles and does all this stuff yeah like if you see like james cameron just so anal about that stuff and they've taken that same approach for this game uh and, but like the, the story is the thing i'm most curious and maybe apprehensive about with the game and i think there's a lot of that it's like that's probably the biggest criticism of the films. It's like, oh, everyone loves looking at those movies and think it, you know, it looks stunning. But like the story is like, eh, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. like, it's like, it's not bad. I don't think, I don't think the stories in those movies are bad. It's just like, oh, you, it, none you haven't seen before. It, pollution's bad. Don't be jerks, family. Blah. It, it doesn't really do too much interesting with that. I think the second yeah. film is more interesting for sure. Uh, but I, I want to see like if the game bucks that trend a bit and maybe has, um, I don't know, like surprises me with the storytelling a little bit more than the films do. I'm curious if they can do that, like under the wing of Lightstorm that is kind of, you know, uh, working with them. Like how far can you depart in terms of like the, the style of storytelling that, that remains to be st- remains yeah. to be seen i think yeah because i even yeah. asked him about the villains i was like you know the movies the villains are almost cartoonishly evil <laughs> like there's not a lot of nuance it's like no these guys are terrible and it sounded and i was like is that going to be addressed or like were you able to add me more nuance and the, the and short like, no. answer was no yeah uh so you know we'll see there but but yeah i i, I i'm curious to see what how that story stacks up to the the two films well cool let's take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about Talos Principle 2, Fortnite, and Warcraft Rumble. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Game Informer Show. Let's get into, I know we're going to go to Talos Principle 2, Marcus. But I want to give Charles a chance to, uh, to be in the limelight. Mm. As it were, Charles, you... in the universe. <laughs> Rush fans, you've been playing. Even... Hold on, this tie. I feel oh. like it's making me. This tie is making me. Yeah, Alex is wearing a tie a little... for audio listeners, by the way. It's making me a little too stiff, you know? Let me just. Oh. Whoa, Alex, calm oh, down. Two buttons. Whoa. Can we do one more? Oh, we can. Whoa. Alex keeps taking the buttons yeah. off. He's literally oh ripping gosh. the buttons off of his shirt. I I felt like I was corporate Alex for a second. Back in my my old days as corporate America Alex, I just was feeling stifled, and I needed to <laughs> shed this energy, and I just did. Did you do that when you quit your corporate job, or you just you were like, I'm out of no. here, and you ripped your shirt off? No, I got in the car and cried after I got laid off. <laughs> for bringing that up, dude. Really appreciate that. Uh, Charles, you've been playing Nickelodeon All Star Brawl too. Is that how you? Is that the title? The full title? That's correct. A lot of keywords. A lot of keywords. That's a good one. Have Have you read my review, Alex? I read your uh your uh sub my yeah, headline. I did. Okay, <laughs> my headline is a slime fight in the limelight. Yeah, it's good. It's very good um, for for people listening. Thank you, thank you. So how how is this slime fight? Please tell us. Uh, good good and slimy. 
which is to say good. How many slimes out of 10? Uh, three slimes out of three, because that's as, that's as high as a slime meter goes. Actually, wait, no, that's not true. I didn't give yeah, it a 10 out of 10. Yeah, but on the Game Informer release. Eight, eight, slime, <laughs> eight slimes out of okay, 10. Okay. Yes, uh, it's a good game. Uh, for people that aren't familiar, it's kind of like a, it's a platform fighter, so it's a Smash Bros-like. Uh, combines a bunch of characters from the Nickelodeon channel, uh, and it's pretty wide-spanning in its... Uh, uh, time frame of like when the characters show up so you got some like hey arnold in there you got maybe some spongebob of course spongebob i don't even know the full name of it but it's el tigre oh yeah el tigre who no one talks about i charles i have one question before you keep going please is there voice acting in this video game there is like so actual there is voice okay. acting. okay yeah yeah okay. so so they for people also that aren't aware nickelodeon all-star brawl one fine game kind of the general consensus is like the bones are here but it's kind of lifeless um because it launched with missing a few features that seem kind of crucial for this one is i believe it had no items and two there was no voice acting so it was just like this (laughs) silent avatar ang fighting a silent spongebob in a void (laughs) with some like vaguely upbeat music in the background um really weird they've added voice they added voice acting to that game eventually uh they patched it and they updated it uh this game launches with voice acting which is one of those funny things where it's like i don't not usually a thing you're excited about but here it's like thank goodness there's voices in this and for the most part they actually got like the voices so uh you got like tom kenny spongebob that's the only voice actor I could think of off the top of my head is is hell is helga from hey arnold still in it because she was in the first she is not um, so that's an interesting thing also is there's 25 characters in this game All-Star Brawl 1 ended after all DLC and updates with 25 characters only 14 of those 25 have come over to the new game and so they've replaced 11 characters um, so there's a number of characters um, uh, like Cat Dog is gone um, no. Elga's gone uh, wait is there any Hey Arnold representation at all they replace uh, Elga with somebody so i haven't watched hey arnold but going by the art style gerald okay gerald's fine and uh is gertie is she from hey arnold also that's right they added grandma okay yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. what a weird pick that the... <laughs> <laughs> i gotta go look at this now. i forgot I, I watched the trailer for her when they announced her and was just like really yeah <laughs> uh they added uh angry beavers yeah, so, I love it. Yeah, 1997 okay. Wait, show. Bo- both of them? Like both Yeah, it's it's Norbert uh, and Daggett. It's like uh you can switch between the two of them. Is it like, like one an, like a Pokemon or like Ice Climbers situation? I haven't personally played as them, but I think it's more more Pokemon trainer than Ice Climbers. Meanwhile, okay. uh Red and Stimpy are still in it. They're kind of like a duck hunt combo there. Um, okay. Makes sense. Uh, yes, uh, uh, Squidward is here now. That was a notable exception from the first game. Um, but Sandy has been cut. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of an interesting thing. I don't have a particular attachments, attachments to a lot of the characters. So for me, it doesn't really bother me. And it's kind of nice. Sorry, Ni- Nigel's in this game? Yeah. Dang, he was in the dude. first one, too. They did cut Jimmy Neutron's dad, but they added Jimmy Neutron. So... Which I thought was hilarious because G- Hugh Neutron was DLC for the first one, but like the idea that he, he went in before the main character purely because <laughs> yeah, the internet right. loves him exactly. so much, <laughs> I thought was just such a funny thing. <laughs> um, 
anyways, <laughs> the game itself uh, is fun. It's good. Um, it's very Smash Bros. like. I think the main difference that you would feel if you're playing it is that uh, Smash Attacks are a different thing called Charge Attacks, and they have their own button. So now you have like three buttons you can attack with. You've got your Light Attack, your Special Attack, and your Charge Attack. Um, mm. And that means like Charge Attacks do different stuff in the air. So now there's like Light Aerials and Charged Aerials, um, which can be cool. Um, and then the big addition in this game compared to the last game is a slime meter, which works like meter in a lot of other fighting games. Um, you can use it for defensive stuff. So instead of like your shield depleting over time, you can spend some slime and it stays up longer. Um, you can spend slime uh, and make your attacks uh, like special attacks will have different effects like SpongeBob's neutral special. He just blows a bubble. Uh, if you slime it, it's like a bunch of bubbles that go out. Um, and then there's also like some like more advanced stuff. Uh, there's a thing called a slime burst where you can spend slime to stop your momentum. So if you get launched really far, you can slime burst and like freeze yourself before you go off stage and then recover, which is cool. Um, and I think it's it's cool. It feels when you're playing it, um, I don't think it feels as approachable as like a Smash Bros. Not to just keep comparing it to Smash Bros. I think that's most people's uh, familiarity with the genre. I don't think it's as approachable, um, but it's, it's similar but there's a lot of uh, uh, opportunities for like really high level play. And that's one of my criticisms of the game is I do wish it had a little bit more of a comprehensive tutorial section. Um, like the wait, there's a how to play section and it tells you how to do basic stuff in the game. Like this is a special, this is how you dash, this is whatever. And at the very end, it's like, also oh, you can do these four things with slime. Uh, just press A real quick, and then you'll get those out of the way. And now you know how to play. And I'm like, wait, no, that's the hardest part. That's definitely the thing I want like a proper <laughs> tutorial for. Um, yes. Uh, and then the last thing of slime meter, which I think most people are going to use it for, because when I was playing the game, I'm not like a super hardcore fighting game person, so I wasn't using it for the slime meter for most stuff. Uh, if you get three segments full, you can do like your ultimate attack your final smash, if you will. And that's like a big, cool, cinematic, character-specific ability. Um, and I mentioned this in my review. They're kind of hit or miss. Um, <laughs> some of them are really cool. Um, and a lot of them What's are good the inside jokes. What's the coolest? Uh, that, that you've seen. I don't know Ren and Stimpy very well. Um, I think they're kind of gross, to be honest. Confession time. That that's pretty wow. much the defining characteristic yeah. of the show. <laughs> it's very gross. <laughs> yeah. And how did how were we allowed to watch this as kids? Uh, I don't like looking at them, but I did go through all the <laughs> all those final smashes in like the training training area. There is this like Stimpy gets a phone call. Is Stimpy the scrawny one? Uh, Stimpy's the cat, the red one. Okay, Stimpy gets a phone call. And hears something and gets offended and then presses a button and like nukes half of the planet or something like that. And it's like, that's great. That's huge. He just got mad and threw a huge bomb at something. Yeah. It's like the Cyrex finish. In <laughs> yes. Whereas like Azula from Avatar Last Airbender, who is a character I played oh, as she's the most. Oh, yeah. Um, she's great. Her thing is she just says like, let me show you real power. And then she gets really big and throws like one fireball. And I'm like that. Wait, she gets big, like she grows. Well, it's like in a void. It like cuts away to a little cut scene, and then it comes okay. back, and it all happens. So she gets really big and shoots a plume of fire down, and like that's the whole thing. And that's one where I'm like, one, it's not cool, and two, it's not really 
character specific to me like i feel like that's the point of like you can really get creative and stretch like what these characters are capable of yeah Um, i think her finisher should have been having a really wild emotional breakdown where you kind of feel bad for her (laughs) yeah (laughs) she should lose it i think that'd be super funny i do her losing uh animation like after the game is done and you have all the people lined up after they lost it is there's like a particular animation in the show when she's defeated for the last time where her arms are behind her back and she's kind of just right. like spitting fire into the air from her mouth. Like that rocks. That's what that is. Okay. Um, so anyways, uh, basic game feels good to play. Uh, there's also new single player modes, including a roguelite campaign. Okay. And I, I was kind of uh, apprehensive at first. Cause I was like, I don't know. I don't know exactly how this is going to work. It's also like, kind of a trendy thing to do and i wasn't sure if it was gonna make sense or if it was just gonna fit in the trend um and there's elements of it i didn't like but i think overall it is enjoyable um it's especially got that kind of power crawl feeling of by the end i had unlocked so many like long-term upgrades um in my last run when i was like completing the story it was a thing where Every time I did an air attack, I would become invincible for like three seconds. Anytime I gave someone a debuff, I would heal 30%, which is absurd. That's so much health. And every time I hit someone, I would poison them. Um, so, so I was just constantly healing myself. No one could do any damage to me. Um, you can use any character fun. for this? Uh, so it starts out with SpongeBob. And then Patrick gets abducted by Vlad Plasmias, who's a villain from Danny Phantom. And then Clockwork, who's a different ghost from Danny Phantom, calls SpongeBob and he's like, yo, I need you to go through this universe and help save all these people. Um, And so as you encounter people, I think this is how World of Light works, of you find like a possessed version of the character. And then if you defeat them, you can play as them in a later run. Oh, okay. So you start out with just SpongeBob, and then the first encounter is always Patrick, and then after that, it's randomized. So I think, like, for me, it took a long time. I'm glad I got the characters I want kind of early. There was definitely one character I didn't get, Ember from Danny Phantom. I didn't get her until, like, my very last run, so I never had, like, the opportunity to play her. Um, But I was mostly playing as Azula. Azula's great. And, uh, oh, the thing I didn't like about it is the story is really bad <laughs> it's uh <laughs> i wouldn't have guessed it's that. <laughs> not only like non like i i would expect it to be like kind of a stupid excuse to just get all these characters together and i'm like that's fine whatever and it was particularly annoying where it will set a goal for you and it's like you just have to defeat this guy and then you defeat him and it's like oh i totally forgot he has the invincibility juice on him. So here, take this. Now I want to have the invincibility juice. And then you go beat him again. It's like, oh, I forgot. That was actually a clone this whole time. But I wanted to test you to make sure you'd be ready for the real. Okay, now fight the real guy. Oh, my. and it does that like five or six times to the point where it's like, oh, boy, I don't really feel the need to pay attention to this anymore. Um, <laughs> but it's fun, which is more important than I think the story making sense. Yeah, They um, should have gotten the Avatar showrunners to write the story. They should have. They're not busy, probably. <laughs> no. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I guess the last thing, speaking of Avatar. So they got voice actors. I looked at the cast list at the end because I was curious. 
my my Nickelodeon attachment, I'm mostly interested in Avatar: Last Airbender, Legend of Korra. Those are my preferred shows. Um, but none of those characters have the correct voice actors, <laughs> which was disappointing. No. Now, Ang's voice actor, I believe, like retired after voicing Ang. So that's like, oh really? That's fine. Yeah, he, he doesn't really do anything hmm. now. Um, Azula is really interesting because her voice actress actually voices a different person on the cast, but doesn't voice Azula. Um, Wait, what? It's Gray. I can never remember if it's Delisle or Griffin because I know it changed at one. So she voices another character in the game. Correct, but not, but not her character. Correct. Well, she voices. <laughs> I think she voices. It's like a shopkeeper. It's a character from uh, LT Gray. Um, okay. LT Gray was a little after my time, so I never really watched it. I was aware of it. But, yeah. You know. Frida Suarez is who Gray Delisle voices. So she is a voice actress in the game, but doesn't voice Azula, which like kind of bothered That's... me. And then Korra's voice actress isn't there. I feel like out of those two characters, like who who do we get her to voice? Who's the more iconic one? I, I Again, no disrespect to LT Gray. I feel like Azula would be the one. <laughs> If we can only get her for one. <laughs> I think the reason is, and I don't I don't know exactly how this would have worked out, but um, this is published by Game Mail Entertainment. They recently published an Avatar The Last Airbender game, and the person that voices Azula in that game is also the one voicing Azula here. So I don't know how that worked out. I don't know if maybe they were like, hey, now that we have you for this, can you also do this? I guess we'll ask Gray Delisle if she's free. And then she like was, and it's like, oh, we already had someone. I don't know. That's that's pure speculation. But um, yes, I think that mostly covers it. Um, I gave it, awesome. gave it an 8 out of 10. It's a good game. 8 slimes out of 10. 8 slimes out of 10. 8 slimes out of 10 slimes. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah, for the slime time. Yeah, pizza. Um, game Mill, if you're listening to this, uh, may I suggest for if you do a third one of these, can we get more live action show representation? Like, I want you to get oh, can we get some Pete and some Pete and Pete in there, some like Keenan and Kel. You, you want like oh. I Carly? <laughs> I want them to get. I want like even put all that. Yeah, put Nick News in there. Like, I want to see Linda Ellerby <laughs> throw down from Nick News or like or oh. the old obscure shows like Space Cases and. And the live action Animorphs show that was on Nickelodeon. Hey, dude, throw it all in there. That would be really fun. And, and it's like uh, animated, like like the old Mortal Kombat's where they just took a bunch of pictures of real dudes. <laughs> just digitized <laughs> B&B. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it, we, we can't, it has to be like current day. Like So it's like adult Keenan Thompson. Was Degrassi was Nickelodeon, right? Uh, Didn't that air on Nickelodeon? Maybe Charles only in Canada. Up. I was gonna say, can we get wheelchair Drake in the next game? Wheelchair <laughs> Young... Drake. Yeah, he's like, what was his character name in, in Degrassi? That was in can the wheelchair. I, can I ask, was he? Did he stay in the wheelchair the whole time? I didn't watch enough Degrassi it's, to tell you. I never watched Degrassi, <laughs> but I know enough about it that it's the kind of thing where like he got in a wheelchair and it lasts for like a season before some thing happens i don't know he just stands he finds the will to stand up one day he just wow. instantly cured uh i can't and find it definitely aired in, on nick at night at some point okay like, okay teen, Ooh, teen nick throw nick at night i know those aren't technically nickelodeon characters but they were like i love lucy in 
All Stars 3. Nick, and then the stage is black and white. I want Nick and Knight representation. Let's do it. Dick Van Dyke show. Dick Van Dyke versus Linda Ellerby. This is a really good version. This is like an alternate version of, because there's a multiverses, which is all like the Warner Brothers own stuff. Uh, right. Nickelodeon is like Viacom. Like, Viacom CBS, like they own a ton of stuff. I like the idea of them licensing all like the old shows. You know, there's a certain time when CBS owned Giant Bomb. They could have thrown them in there technically. I did not know that. They could have Brad Shoemaker could have been fighting a Ninja Turtle back in the day. (laughs) They did cut Leonardo and Michelangelo, but they added Donatello and Raphael. So that's well, that's only fair. You gotta, you know, they gotta get a turn. Uh Uh-huh. Well, Marcus, uh, tell us about um, the Brawler of the Mind, Talos Principle 2. Hey, do you guys like feeling smart? Yeah. And and maybe at the same time, dumb? Less so, but sure. Because this game is good at both of those things. Um, So did either of you play the Talos Principle, the first one, back in 2014? No. I actually have no idea what this is. Okay, so I did. I'm familiar I, with it, though. Okay, so I did. I, I love the Talos Principle. Well over a decade ago since I last played it, or not over, but close. It, basically, the game is a, it's a puzzle game where you play as a robot in a world where humanity has gone extinct due to a virus that was unleashed due to global warming. <laughs> and <laughs> basically, I'm, I'm summing up a lot of lore, but basically what happens is that everyone died out. But before that happened, a scientist lady gather the whole of human knowledge and culture and and philosophy and basically made a simulation where these robots would over a long period of time run these simulations and basically become humanity's successors because they would accumulate that knowledge and then they themselves would start a new society where they were essentially human but not really you know and the way they did this is that the simulation would put multiple robots through these puzzle challenges and you would be guided by this, you know, this voice called Elohim, which was basically an AI. And the idea, and, and this is me mostly summing up the first game, but the idea was like, you're challenged to rebel against Elohim because he's telling you what to do. But like throughout the game, you get this choice where you can kind of go the opposite way. And the only way you would pass the simulation truly and graduate to like, okay, you can live in the new world now is that you would have to go against Elohim's commands because the only way to prove yourself was to show that you were capable of independent thought um so this game takes place a thousand years after the first game so you don't have to play it if you don't want to uh, it takes like a long time so like you are the in the new world there's this new city called new jerusalem that is occupied by 999 of these sentient robots that are again humanity's successors and you are the 1,000th robot born and also the final one to be born because there was a prophecy or a command, rather, from the woman that set this whole program up like, hey, the robots, you're going to make this new society. But because to sort of like learn from humanity's mistakes, um, one of the things that, you know, but humanity's hubris is that we expanded too much. You know, we were we believed in infinite growth in a finite planet, you know. And so to maybe stop that, create a thousand of you. And then when you get to a thousand, you're done. Just don't make any more of you. So you're that 1000 person. Everyone's hailing you. It's like, oh, we did it. We recognize like this whole mission statement or just like the whole mission is called the goal. So it's like, oh, you fulfilled the goal. Now what do we do? And, you know, everything's hunky dory until like at your big celebration, you get there's this big 
Um, basically, you get this projection of this human-like god pretending, like, posing as a um, Prometheus, saying, like, hey, go to this island. There's something here for you. And again, everyone that, all these robots have lived in this basically dome city for centuries. And they, you know, have learned to like, okay, stay in your dome, don't expand, just this is it, we got everything we need here. And now you have this weird digital projection of a of a Greek god saying, hey, there's this island over here, you should go see what's over there. So you join this expedition to go see what's over there, and that's where the bulk of the game takes place. Uh, like the first game, the puzzles unfold as basically these light puzzles where you're guiding one light to a node to basically open up the exit. And so you're uh, guiding lights with mirrors. Uh, uh, you know, it's pretty much basically like the first game, but there's like these new types of mirrors where a lot of it uh, relies on color, where like you can only guide a blue light to hit a blue lock, so to be speak. But then sometimes, or not sometimes, it gets complicated. We have to guide different types of lights because, and then if they have to go a certain direction because lights can't cross each other. So if they intersect, they'll cut each other off. So you have to find ways around that. And then it gets more uh, interesting as they introduce different types of mirrors where there's like, oh, one mirror that just transports the light across. But now here's an RGB mirror where it mixes colors where like you have a red, blue, and green lock. If you combine two colors in this specific type of mirror, then it produces the third color. So if you want green, you need to combine red and blue and then figure out how to navigate a puzzle from there. There's another one that... um, Another new one is like an inversion light where... Whatever light you send through it, it produces the opposite of it. So if you send a blue light, it's going to produce a red light. And then combining those with the other mirrors to try to figure out how to get past these obstacles. Uh, it's really fun. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the first game because I think the puzzle design was like immaculate. And then the story and the sort of philosophy behind it was interesting. And this game so far, I haven't finished it yet. I'm a good way. I'm like in the almost done with the third sort of like island. It, it, it's so I'm, I'm in. I got a ways to go, but I'm in like i'm in it basically and i'm enjoying it so far it's a lot bigger than the first game was because the first game was pretty much just like from what i remember it's a little fuzzy but it was pretty much just like you were in one setting and you were just going through a series of puzzles whereas this you not only have the different sort of like like sub hubs that you travel between because you have like a rail a train that you're riding to get to the next batch of puzzles that are all set in their own little open hub area that not only have, uh, excuse me, the puzzles, but there's also these optional sort of things to find where like there's uh, there are these collectibles called Prometheus Fires that basically allow you to skip puzzles if you find them. Like you can just feed it into a terminal and it'll just solve it. So you can be like, ah, oh, this is too hard. I'm just going to solve it. But I don't know what the ramifications are of that yet. I've only done it once just to see what it did. And I'm wondering if there's going to be like any sort of storytelling ramifications. Um, there's like these, uh, these different statues that you can find scattered throughout that each have their own sort of like self-contained environmental puzzle. Like one is where, um, you have to find a, like a digital swarm out in the world and then guide it back to that statue by sort of running and chasing it and then keeping it going until it gets back to the statue holding a torch. And then you get like this collectible spark thing. There are these hidden labs that you can find in each one and finding those not only gives you the schematic to access the next hub world but also just more lore notes of which there was a lot of lore notes you can find uh, as you're trying to find out the origin of this weird sort of place that you're in because again the robots have gone centuries believing that they were the only civilization out there and then they find this superstructure out somewhere with all this sophisticated tech and they're like how did this get here who who on earth could have made this and then 
And then also just like a lot of the storytelling so far is like you interacting with this small research team of which they all have their own personalities, but also their own belief systems. Because again, they've been conditioned by like human knowledge. And then a lot of them are very much like humanity. uh, You know, you have their own disagreements about like, okay, we should stick to the goal. Like we can't expand past a hundred, a thousand people because that's what led to our ancestors destroying the earth because they thought they unlimited growth was uh, okay. But then now there's people in that, in the community that are kind of like, well, maybe we should have some, maybe we should have more. Like, what's the problem? Like there's these in the beginning. And I recommend people do this. Like before you set out on the big adventure, you're, you're free to explore new Jerusalem and just sort of walk around. And there's a bunch of museums of like, human artifacts of like oh this is a toilet on a display spinning around and it's like their description of like oh humans would dispose their excrement in here and they had a very sophisticated sewer system that's that's odd which i'm always like a sucker for that stuff of like post-apocalyptic media where future people try to figure out the purpose of things that we have now like there's a tooth like an electric toothbrush in there and they are like we have no idea what this is <laughs> there it is like their guesses are like it might have been some sort of ceremonial tool and i've always loved that because i've learned to take any sort of historical artifacts we have with a grain of salt cuz it's like i bet there's things that we assign so much meaning that back in the day was like the most mundane thing <laughs> but we don't know unless there's like documentation or whatever explaining what it is we're sort of doing our best to guess and i i i'm a sucker for that i love history in general but um but like exploring that and getting to talk to the other random robots opens up these interesting conversations because there's a lot of choice-driven dialogue. And by choices, like you have a lot of choices. Like it's usually at least five or six responses, but sometimes it's like up to eight or so. And it's just like, a lot of it's just like, hey, what's your perspective about the nature of life? Like I talked to one guy who was, uh, and again, these are all robots and they all have like numbers. Like you can see their number on your chest, which gives you an idea of how long they've been around. Of like, oh, if you're like number 100 and you've been here a long time. But one guy's like, oh, I'm just kind of depressed because I want to find love. But like, I've been around here long enough, right? You know, because everyone knows each other. I know that I'm not like into anyone, basically. And it's sad because now that you're born, there will never be another new person, you know? And you can kind of choose to respond of like, because he asked like, what do you think about that? Like, is it okay to love? Or what do you think about love? And you can say like, oh, maybe you should work as folks on loving yourself or I believe love should be built and not found and, you know, all these different responses. But it's like an interesting thought of like, yeah, what would it be like to live in a world where like the, there's a hard cap on society of like population and you know that you're not interested in anyone else for whatever reason. You're like, that's it. There's never going to be any new people ever. And you're like, huh, that's an interesting. And a, a lot of questions, like at least for me, they, they get you thinking. And also I think it's they highlight that there's really no wrong answer. It's sort of like, what do you think? And then that person might disagree, but that's more because of their personality might be at odds with yours or they just believe differently. And that's something I I like where it's like, you're not choosing the right answer. You're just choosing an answer and then seeing how they respond to it. There's like a side thread right now where I've, um, that is completely optional where I met a character who is from what I could tell part of like an Illuminati, like, (laughs) like club of like a small handful of robots that seem to be, in the shadows do, orchestrating something like you meet him you meet this person early on he's like hey i heard that you're going on this expedition like this is before you leave and he's like would you be interested in talking to my friends about like what you find out there and they're very secretive about it like you know if you say and but you have to take a test 
like they, they give you these responses and this question like respond and then we'll let you know if my my uh members are interested in having you and funny enough i don't know if this is like ominous or not but this robot that uh, approached me about this its number is 666 which i'm like I, I was like i don't know if they're on that on the nose of like is this a bad group or is it just more of like it just happens to be 666 that number might not mean anything to them in this world who knows but um you can opt out like they say like hey you don't have to opt out but if you do we're gonna need some personal information maybe keep an eye on you and you gotta update us what you're doing i said yes because i want to see where this goes <laughs> but like periodically while i'm out there solving puzzles they'll like message me because you have a whole like um uh, messaging system like you have a social media thread where residents will post things about like what's happening and sometimes you'll respond to those because they'll talk about you directly about like what do you think about this new guy or they'll ask more sort of like interesting questions that you can choose to chime in on or ignore and then occasionally I'll get a group uh, call from this like shady group and they're like, hey, um, so this is just to give you an idea. I can't give you names of who's in it, but I can tell you what they do. Like one of them is a scholar. One of them's a, a politician. One of them's like the most ominous thing is that the fifth person is like, it's best you don't know about them. You uh-huh. don't want to know. <laughs> but you can choose to be like, which one do you want to talk to first? Which one do you think you would jazz with? And I chose the fifth one because I was like, well, I want to see yeah. the, the mystery person. And they were like, no, you can't talk. <laughs> so I, but they were like, but this person would rather talk to you. Would you rather talk to them? So I was like, sure, I'll take that one. But I'm curious to see where that thread goes and what, again, they don't seem like, because again, they, it seems to be more perspective. Like they might be evil, but you don't know that. It seems like they just have their own self-interest because you get early on that even though this is sort of a utopia, things have been so perfect or seemingly perfect for a while that uh, and enough of these robots have been along long, long enough to have developed because everyone here is capable of independent thought and like art and all this stuff that you're seeing some of the same sort of, um, you know, the same sort of divisions as you maybe see now, maybe not as extreme, but it's there. Even if like mundane stuff, like there's one guy that asked me to sign a petition to change the city's power grid to something else. And I declined to sign. So I was like, well, I don't know enough about how this place runs to know what should change, if anything. So I'm just going to I'll get back to you later if I if I know more. Uh, But the storytelling around the edges so far and just even the audio logs and the notes about like, again, a lot of just interesting questions about the nature of free will of humanity and also the talus principle itself which for those that don't know and i'm gonna very i'm gonna paraphrase this as much as i can but like the talus principle is a philosophical idea of like if man makes machines in their image you know like like pretty much like what is the difference truly between a man and a machine if you make a machine it could do the same thing as a man that is a man just a machine at the end of the day you well the woodchuck wood cut woodchuck wood yeah and like i said i'm paraphrasing a lot here with that uh so apologies if i'm not like 100 percent on that but that's like the gist of it of like what does that mean and even just stuff about like like i read one log that had me thinking about the nature of extinction and being like you know human you know for some reason humanity gets sad about extinction when it's caused by them but if nature does it it's okay and what is that it but like you know, what does that say? About, like, if, if dolphins would extinct, we would try to stop it because we decided we like dolphins. But if a bacteria went extinct, we wouldn't care because we decided we don't like that. But, like, we're still intervening directly with what nature would do. So we would protect the species that maybe just can't compete anymore just because of evolution, but because we like them. But then is that bad to, in, like, insert that influence in something that would naturally happen? And, again, not saying... and. 
there's no like right or wrong answer. It's just raising the question to get you thinking. And then also like if you if the universe works that way, is it dangerous to assert humanity's influence on the universe, which in itself is more neutral and chaotic? You know, uh, like things like that. Like even like a one little audio note or, or like Lorna will get you thinking like, huh, I've never had I've never been asked that or maybe not with that angle. And I'll be sitting there like, that's an interesting question. I'm going to think about that for a while. Um, so on top of like a really nice presentation, I think it's a like art wise, it's a nice looking game and the puzzles so far have been great. And each Island has introduced a new mechanic that layers on top of the existing sort of like premise of guiding light beams to nodes in interesting ways. And with the collectathon aspect of like, Oh, there's the main puzzles you have to solve, but there's like these optional puzzles that if you solve those, they feed into these golden doors I keep finding that if I solve enough optional puzzles, I'll be able to open these really elaborate golden doors and I want to see what's behind there. So I want to kind of do those and I've done all of them so far. And I, I genuinely want to see where the story goes. Like, I want to know what the hell is going on with this island, especially because as you get to know your crewmates, they each have their own opinions about like, are we, should we tread lightly here? Like one guy is kind of cautious because for good reason of like, he, he goes into stuff that has happened of like, maybe we should slow it down and, and take everything with a grain of salt. And then one person in your team is more adventurous and like, it's our responsibility to find out because it might be for the good of the city back home to know what's going on here, you know? And again, it's like, I don't think either of you are wrong. <laughs> it's, and as things go on, you're kind of like forming your own opinions of like, what is this dangerous? What we're doing should like, are we playing with fire here? Should we have stayed back in our bubble? Is that ultimately safer for the earth? You know, if, if we break out and expand, are, are we susceptible to repeating the mistakes of, of man? Or have we learned enough? Because they're all aware of how man fell apart. And they always talk about like, oh, the hubris of man kind of led to our destruction. But can we, or should we still do that, but do it better than they did? You know, it's, it's a very fascinating game. And the first one was as well, but I, I'm really digging what they're doing with this so far. Awesome. I am mad because I want to play this game now, first of all. Um, <laughs> second of all, and this is kind of a broad question, but you talk a lot how, about how the game like raises a lot of the philosophical questions and kind of leaves like the interpretation up to you. From what you played of the first game, does it seem interested in like coming to some answer in itself by the end of the game or is it like are you the one that's kind of guiding that like to me it's it's a i feel like if you're gonna raise all these questions i i want to know what the game has to say about those um, so if it does at all the first game has multiple endings so gotcha. i'd say it does in that sense of like if you choose so like like i said the first game is basically about are you gonna follow elohim this omnipresent voice like everything does to the letter yes or no and if you choose yes or no, there are two completely different endings based on that. And kind of the consequences of those choices, I guess, is sort of like, here's what we think this would lead to. Like I mentioned before, like I think from what I remember the first game, the true ending was going against Elohim because like that was like the criteria of like, you are now allowed to live with these other robots because you've proven that you are capable of independent thought. Whether that's good or bad, we'll see, but you can do it, <laughs> you know? Um, and... Yeah, I, I'd say I think the first game, like, I guess through those endings kind of offers like an answer to that, you know, and so I, I am thinking about that too of like what when I get to the end or maybe some sort of story milestone what the 
what this game has to say for itself about like certain things. Cause even now, like I've encountered two weird beings, like the one I mentioned in the beginning that sort of sets you in a course that are, even they are contradicting each other where the first one invites you to the Island. And the other one is like, maybe you should turn back, you know? And you're like, and it, we had a discussion with the group of like, who do we listen to? And like, are they both valid? And again, it's like, it's the thing of like, well, it's, it's more interesting that we have two seem being seemingly of the same power scale that are telling us different things. So what do we do with that? You know? Yeah. So we'll it see. Sounds cool as hell. It, it's I'm I'm I. It's one of those games I think about when I'm not playing, especially if I'm stuck in a puzzle and you you know you give yourself a chance to play mm. it in your mind and go, wait, I should do it this way. Like I said, I I've talked a lot about the story, but I think the puzzle design so far is fantastic. It's and also the game controls well. Like you can move, you can run really fast, which I think is important for something like this, where you're like, you're like zipping around, putting because a lot of the game is putting moving things where they need to be so that the beams go a certain way. And the fact that you can move as quick as you can means you can solve a puzzle like that. So it's it's good. I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. Well, I'm adding that to my Steam wish list right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, sorry. Cool. Another great, another seemingly great game to, to <laughs> yeah, pile to get through in a short angry. amount of time. <laughs> Why did you say this game was garbage? It's exhausting, dude. So I don't have to think yeah. about it. <laughs> Why can't there be more Super Bomberman R twos in the world? You know, <laughs> more golems, more golems. Crime <laughs> boss, golems. Rock K City two, dude. <laughs> Bring back Crime Boss. <laughs> well, speaking of bringing things back, Whoa. Fortnite. Oh, brought back chapter segue. five legendary segue brought back chapter five from season one fortnite og is yeah. what they're calling it i call it Aug. it is yeah fortnite aug fortnite it Aug. is what is ostensibly a tour through chapter one so for the next week we're going to be in chapter five which has um map locations like paradise palms greasy grove tilted towers retail row lazy links and then it's going to switch to season six. Uh, and then it's going to do season seven and eight. And then season nine and ten throughout the next um, month or so. Um, and yeah, it is it is OG Fortnite. There's some, some updates um, since Zero Build didn't exist back then. Um, when you play that mode, which I do, there's like more, there's more zip lines around because before where you could build to get up hills and stuff, you can't anymore. So you have to rely on like the plungers back in the game. So typically you have the plunger or the porter rift to teleport into the top of the map and parachute down again, um, as well as um, other random scattered rifts and, and, and zip lines to make sure that you can access all parts of the map. But I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, this is the new Fortnite season. Um, so when you say it goes back, does it take away all the stuff they've added, like vehicles? Yeah. Is that good? Because I, I feel like when you do a well, step they back. Routinely, <laughs> they routinely vault things in Fortnite. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. So like weapons will just disappear for months or years and they'll show up again. It's kind of like the meta is always changing. With Fortnite. I was wondering, like, is it when you do these sort of like throwback things, the danger is like, oh, it's less fun because the things that you've added made the game objectively better. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think I've also played it a little bit. I don't think it feels weird because like Alex said, they do so routinely, like every season it's like, 
your favorite gun is probably going to go away, but then you might be introduced or reintroduced to like a different new favorite gun. Um, yeah. And same with like vehicles and mechanics. And like there were grind rails for a minute that were super fun and those are gone now and that's fine. I think this is really fun. Uh, I do think I'm, I, I feel the age a little bit in terms of the map design because it isn't built for <laughs> zero build. Um, and there aren't as many vehicles. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff of like, uh, you'll, they're just big open planes where like, ideally it's like, oh great. You have lots of space to like build stuff here. But if it's zero build, you're just kind of running along for a while. And I think that's fine for the record. Yeah. And I'm glad that it's only lasting a month and also that they're doing it as like a way to cycle through all the history. Um, but I'm also glad that this isn't like the next year of Fortnite looks like this. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if, Fortnite OG became a a new mode that players can just play. That would rock. Yeah. Um because they have uh they have hit a, a lot of records this week ever since Fortnite OG came out. They they had the other night uh 6.1 million concurrent players on Fortnite. Uh concurrent at the same time. Wild. Um yeah. Uh they've also I think they had 44, 45, almost million players that jumped in the day this came out. Um, so it's like very successful. Yeah. Uh, and they're breaking records. Um, and yeah, it's it's kind of wild to see. I'm having a lot of fun with it. I do miss some of the quality of life things. Um, I miss the perk system, the augments system mm. that they introduced last chapter. Uh, I miss uh, some of the, the, the NPCs around the map that you can hire in the gold system. I think Fortnite uh, Chapter 5 Season 4? Chapter 4 Season 4, sorry. I don't know how you guys remember that. Which is the most recent season before you, If I change. named a random chapter in Season like, would you be able to tell me what that was off the top of your Like, if I said, uh, remember Chapter 3, Season 2? And could you be like, oh, yeah, that was where they chapter did Chapter 3, Season 2, vibing? I believe that was, when Z- that was when Zero Build first came out, one season after. And Wait, I think, that, was, that that with, uh, was that with the uh, the Hunter Bows? Was that the Hunters season? Chapter 3, Season 2? Yeah. Uh, that was Resistance. What were the characters? That Battle Pass had... Uh, Doctor Strange and the Prowler. That was the big, that was like the big war. Um, uh, with the... <laughs> ask me another one, Marcus. I might be able to tell I you. mean, I was going to say, is the short answer yes, I, I can do that? Like I was saying, do you guys have that, like that encyclopedic memory? I like, don't. Yeah, I can tell you exactly. I've one. been playing for uh, a little, about a year and a half. I started playing when I entered the games industry, I started playing Fortnite. So it was last yeah. last summer. That's what gets you. Alex is the one that that has played much longer, though. I played since season two, season one or two of the first chapter. Hmm. Um, and I've taken breaks, of course. I could remember a lot of the first chapter, like the difference between chapter six and chapter hey, seven. I I remember. Pre, like pre battle royale Fortnite, because I was there. there, you go. You're there. I, I bought it day one. That's the just, real OG Fortnite. What we know now is save the world. I was there literally day one, and I got the founder umbrella because they were like, "Oh, you were the idiot that played this before we <laughs> were we, here." Before we saw PUBG and said, "Hey, what if we 
What if we just did that? (laughs) We're all still here. Um, yeah, it's it's fun. Um, I do kind of. I think the most recent season of Fortnite is was my favorite one in a long time. I think the game was super strong. Um, I think it was maybe stronger than Fortnite OG. If I'm being honest, like if I take away the excitement and stuff of going back to this. Very nostalgic, rose-tinted God, time so of 2017 is nostalgic now? <laughs> is that where oh, we're at? Yeah, some some so. of us, we're still in high school in 2017, Mark. I mean, wow. that's true. What was that, like six that's... years ago? I mean, the Switch came out that year, yeah. so. Yeah, I brought I brought the Switch to study hall. That's, that's something. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> Alex is depressed now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I honestly... I playing it i'm like this is fun i enjoy i enjoy the novelty of this i also kind of hope because this is like the last theoretically the last part of chapter four because they've kind of started going yearly um i'd be i'd be excited if this became more of like a regular thing of like at the end of the year they do some kind of throwback map or season or something Um, or if like alex said they like integrate it into some more like permanent modes of accessing older maps i think would do a lot i mean honestly if i was playing the game and like you just had the option of a few maps every time like i just would play for so much longer there's so much more variety yeah you know what would be great even though it would be like financial suicide would be if they're like you want the real og we're gonna season five chapter six whatever is next we're taking away battle royale. It's only saved the world like it was intended. <laughs> They're like, you're gonna, you're gonna play this, damn it. <laughs> and we're going back to our roots. <laughs> it's funny because there's still a paywall. That's their April Fools. The wall yeah, but but you can still be Goku. <laughs> still be Goku. Like you can still you can still save the world as Goku and, yeah. and Naruto and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I dig it. Uh, well, let's uh, let's start wrapping up the show here. Uh, I do want to talk about Warcraft Rumble, but it can wait till next week. Short, short, uh, short answer, I guess, is I, I like it a lot. It's pretty good. If you like um, Crash Team Rumble, Crash Royale, one of those. Um, Wait, you, like mean you, mean, you mean Clash Royale? Do you mean Clash? Oh my God. I think, like Crash <laughs> Bandicoot? Oh there was that I'm Crash so, Bandicoot. This is why I'm trying to go because I'm so tired. It's kind of like Clash. Crash Team Racing. <laughs> I thought you meant the, the Clash that... Royale. Okay. Like it's like the Crash Bandicoot like MOBA that came out this year. Clash of Clans, the the that, that series, the sequel to Clash of Clans. Uh, and you, but you want Warcraft models and stuff and armies. It's really good. I'm too tired to talk about it this week. It's been a, it's been a a long weekend of working, and getting a bunch of documentaries out. Well, not a bunch, one documentary. That's a lot. And then a bunch of videos people. for our cover story. <laughs> uh, I'm ready to go. It's been a great show. Um, but before we go, we have listener questions, so we can't go yet. We need listener um, questions music, like a jingle. Yeah, I'll write I'll write a jingle. That's the kind of funny thing. I think. That's right. You have a keyboard right there, Charles. Use it. I have. Well, not right. I don't. I don't think it. You're the I jingle think, man. Is it plugged in? I think I've tried to play on the podcast before, and Discord just eats it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, we have. We tried to get you to do the Final Fantasy fanfare, <laughs> victory fanfare. Did you hear that? Yeah, yeah, we did. Okay. All right, there we that's go. not copyright. We can use that, right? I don't know. Actually, someone did. <laughs> well, never mind. No, it's a tangent. Yep, it's good. Okay. <laughs> uh, housekeeping, real quick. Uh, single issues are, of course, available for sale. Uh, GameStop.com/slash/GameInformer. Go out and grab a magazine for seven ninety nine. 
It's a great way to support us. Uh, you can have it, head over to twitch.tv slash Game Informer on Fridays at 2 p.m. to catch our replay series where we are replaying uh, the Neversoft Spider-Man game. Threads, Blue Sky, Instagram, Twitter. You can follow us on all those places. Follow Marcus at MarcusStewart7. Follow Charles at ChuckDuck365. And you can follow me at It's Van Aiken. Go and listen to All Things Nintendo, our weekly Nintendo podcast hosted by Brian Shea. And a shout out to our podcast editor, Matt Storm, a.k.a. DJ Stormageddon. Go and listen to their podcasts, Fun and Games, and the Reignite podcast, which is a Bioware-focused podcast, which um, might be interesting for people who are keeping up with N7 Day. Uh, but yeah, go go check out those podcasts. Let's get into listener questions now. If you want to be part of the show, send us an email, podcast at GameInformer.com, or leave a comment in the Discord, uh, which you get access to by subscribing to us one time on Twitch. Um, this is essentially the part of the show where you influence what we talk about. Uh, just like Troidal Power on Discord, who asks, if you were added as a skin in Fortnite, what bespoke emote or dance would you come up with? An emote or dance? My emote, I think it'd be playing guitar. Is that not, finger is that, picking is that not on a guitar? Not finger picking. No on air guitar, guitar emote. Okay. No, I want like the. I want them to have the prop of the electric guitar out. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and he's finger picking and doodling. I maybe I don't know if this is already in there in the dances, but has anyone done the the Charleston old school? Can you bring back the Charleston? <laughs> is that <laughs> is that a thing you specifically are known for, or that's just a thing you want to bring into the game? Uh the latter. I, I don't think I've I think I've maybe danced the Charleston. Before. I don't think anyone born after 1970 even knows what the Charleston is. They just heard the dance, but they don't actually like they know it's a dance. But if you ask them to do it, they would not know what to do. Right. And Fortnite would bring it back. <laughs> yeah, let's bring let's get the Charleston back in here, make it hot again. Okay. And I, I through through me specifically, I'll I'll do it. Okay. Yeah. Charles, what about you? I really don't know. I'm trying to think of like. You guys don't think about this while you're playing Fortnite? Like, if, if I was in this game, so for me, it's it's literally the opposite of like I have my ring of Fortnite reactions. I've been there for so long that sometimes in other games something will happen, and I'll reflexively, <laughs> and go I'll reflexively it. press like my dab button. Yeah, like I'm gonna, like, <laughs> or I'm gonna do the Carlton dance right here. Yeah, or it's like, yes, I got the item I wanted. How do I Gangnam style in Resident Evil Four? <laughs> No, I don't know. I I think I would I would be flossing, but it would be kind of an absent-minded flossing. So it's not like it's not like I'm on the dance floor and I'm flossing really hard. It's like I'm waiting for someone to go and I'm just kind of bored. I'm like I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it on video. We have video. Oh, That's the sad like. video uh, audio listeners. He's standing up. The sad uh, floss. Oh yeah, that's like. That's not like you're ready. You're ready for the party to be over. Like but you're... the casual floss. Yeah. I like that. This one's kind of like a hula dance. Oh, with the open hand. Oh, yeah. Like it is that. a bit more like a hula dance. There's two. We can, be, we can have alternate options. Is, is the hula dance the, the progenitor of the floss? That's a great question. I don't know. Who can say? So that's a backpack kid. He'll know. He's probably yeah. a backpack man at this point. <laughs> <laughs> How long? Ago? That was so long ago now, right? I guess 2017. <laughs> yeah, he's probably my age. I don't know. Kid's- I recently added the orange justice back to my my emote wheel. 
because I was feeling nostalgic for Fortnite OG. Can you? I feel like that hasn't been in the shop like ever. Like, did they remove that from the shop? I don't know. Anyways, but I'm I'm a Fortnite OG. You see, right? Of course. So, button back up my my <laughs> my shirt. Okay, Backpack Kid is a year younger than you think he has a mortgage almost two years he's, he's currently 21 so he's drinking age oh so your backpack kid getting he was born getting weights born three months after 9-11 <laughs> if you could see alex, <laughs> alex's eyes right now audio <laughs> listeners are just like <laughs> he's processing this information <laughs> hey man it's wild. Shout out to Backpack Kid. Hopefully you, <laughs> oh, I hope he show, hasn't, or maybe I hope kid. he hasn't become a problem. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I hope you remain offline <laughs> as much as possible. Living better than all of us. Yeah. Quillgrim on Discord asks, which game would be the most fun to play if you discovered what you were controlling is actually happening in real life, a la Ender's Game? For example, you learn that when you're playing the Age of Empires you were actually directing entire civilizations to fight each other in wars. Well, I don't want that. <laughs> That's not good. I'm going to say Nintendogs. You imagine getting oh. super attached to a dog in Nintendogs and then one day you wake up and it's you like... You get to meet him? Charles, we brought... It's your Nintendog. It's... So when you play Nintendogs, are you controlling the dog in the room? No, you're petting them. You're like you're you're the one caring for the dog, which I guess in this Yeah, you don't control have, the dog. They have some kind okay. of robot caretaker <clears throat> and then it would turn out the dog was real. Okay. I mean, I I think the correct answer is the Sims. <laughs> I think that's all I mean, that could get that could get horrifying really quick. <laughs> 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 I say, ah, that's a slippery slope. <laughs> I guess it depends on what kind of player you are. I just saw what kind of human you, what kind of person you are. <laughs> I just saw a TikTok a clip of The Sims of a person had just given birth to a baby, and the guy, the father of the baby, had just asked to move in, and she was like, "Finally, we're starting a family." And then he immediately murdered her. <laughs> immediately murdered her. It was like, oh, that's terrible. That, I would hate if so that was real. That's the world you want to live in, Alex? <laughs> the character did that or the player? The character. The char- no, not real <laughs> life. <laughs> not a sociopath. I'm just saying the randomness level. Yeah. Wow. Too many variables. Yeah, I want that to happen, Marcus. Okay. Well, that's I'll the- have the blood on my hands. <laughs> As you do the thing where you just remove doors and trap people in just walled rooms. Yeah, I just want to be a menace. Like, uh, ah, ha, ha, the... <laughs> What I a, moved the I moved the shed by two feet, and everyone in your world's like God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All of them annoying. <laughs> like oh, the bath towel um, rack has moved to the opposite wall now. Man, you know what they I just want? think there's a poltergeist. Really, that's what that would be me. Yes, still terrifying. A home renovation <laughs> poltergeist. Like that doesn't make it any better. But <laughs> I mean, probably like a good cooking game because then the food would be real right like if i mm. if i play monster hunter world and talk to meowskular chef who makes some real good looking food like will i get that food based on this question like he, he makes i feel like the you're overlooking the fact that you would have a talking cat access to a talk i mean cat. that's like the bonus who cares about the food <laughs> I mean, yeah, because then he would be like my personal chef, right? Like, like, oh, not only is he a cool talking cat, but he's like, he cooks for me and it's always amazing. Hmm. So, yeah, I would bring him like 
it would save me grocery shopping because I would I would just get the ingredients from the game, and then it okay, would be, yeah. he would make it, so I don't have to actually buy real world food. I just do it all in the game. Perfect. Yeah, so it's good on the wallet too. I guess money wise, like any game where you can hack large amounts of money in. Actually, yeah, that's probably the real answer. <laughs> Watch Dogs Three. Yeah. Like, what if I like the in Yakuza like a dragon that company that I ran. Like, I could just reap the benefits from that, right? Yeah. Ichiban Holdings and just be like a gazillionaire. Because <laughs> I was, I did that whole thing and was like super rich by the end of that. So I could, yeah, that's probably the, the smart answer. What are we thinking with all these whimsical choices? <laughs> we should just be making money. Uh, JHerb24 on Discord asks, what's one studio you feel is doing innovative slash great work that flies under the radar? Are there any games in particular coming out in the next year? You can't wait to try. I think this is relevant because of recent news, but Digital Eclipse, who uh, is the team that did uh, Atari 50, uh, they just did the making of Karataka, and they've done a lot of those. Uh, like, they're pretty much known for, like, restoring and remastering classic games. Like, they did the Disney Afternoon Collection, which was really good. They did the Mega Man Legacy Collection, I think the first one at least. Um, yeah, they're, like, Atari just acquired them like earlier or like are planning to acquire them yeah uh, pretty big but um yeah I, I feel like they don't get enough mainstream love for that stuff like i think uh especially atari 50 for like not even just like the restoration but like the documentary stuff like interviewing all those like old school atari guys that you know to be honest they're not going to be around for much longer and like you don't really see that kind of stuff in the game industry enough especially for like a big mainstream or like or maybe not mainstream but like a big sort of like project like that that isn't like an independent thing like a no clip or something yeah you know yeah like something that a a studio is like no let's let's talk to these guys and get this like candid uh like footage and responses about like what it was like making these games and like the making of Herotica also doing that same thing of sitting down with Jordan Mechner and is doing this very unique approach to a documentary about like one yeah. game is like really cool yeah well, we lost Charles at the tail end of this <laughs> he <didn't> think- <laughs> He's gone. I, yeah, he didn't think it was as cool, I guess. Or yeah. He- <laughs> well, uh, shall we wrap up here then, Marcus? Yes. Charles had to dip suddenly, guys. Uh, um, yeah, he, uh, he's gone. But, uh, he yeah. actually, the Sims thing was real. Yeah. Well, I mean, did you, wanna, I, did you have an answer to this question before we wrap up? Um, I mean, I'd just like to shout out uh, Arcane. Sure. Uh, even though, I mean, I reviewed Redfall. I didn't like it. But um, I, I'm so excited to see what they do next. I think they are innovative and do great work. And hope that I enjoy their next work more than I did their last. I think in our circle, they, they get the credit. But I think in a lot of senses, they are um, slept on sometimes. Yeah. I hope that Dishonored 3 thing we saw in that leaked Microsoft doc is more than just a what if we did this? Yeah, <laughs> I hope too. that's I hope that's something that is uh got some fire behind it. Me too. All right. Well, let's get out of here, Marcus. Thanks everybody for listening this week, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye guys. <laughs> <laughs>